Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. involved. Oh yeah, very nice, gentlemen. Very nice. And what a game, well, what a weekend of games it was to chat through tonight. So we've had the 100th test between South Africa and New Zealand, which was a very tightly contested affair, and then Australia and Argentina which was played out at 8 o'clock yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening. And very much looking forward to chatting through that. But before we get into that, how are you this evening, Ando? Mate, I'm good. I had a barbecue today and I'm stuffed full of meat and beer, so life is good. And I got to chat with some um, friends over the weekend just talking about how good this weekend was for sport. One of my Mm -hmm. mates was a massive Panthers fan, so they're through to the final now. Uh, then what the Melbourne Demons got up and then he had the Wallabies on as well. Like just a great weekend of sport. So absolutely loved it and keen to chat some ruggers tonight. Fantastic. And Rev, how are you? Yeah, really good. I, I feel like I went through the perfect uh, Saturday ritual, albeit it started with a 10K walk, um, which you know wasn't the, the most fun part of the day, but followed by a pub feed with uh, a couple of palmies and Canadian Club and Dry, which was a nice way to finish that walk off. And that sets the tone really nicely for a bit of NRL bit of rugby union and uh, even a bit of AFL in between, which was a nice uh, sort of Saturday evening. Yeah, there was you really say a couple lot. of palmies, mate, like two. Uh, I did say plural. Uh, I won't divulge exactly how much was consumed during the day, but I, yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> words were bloody said. impressive. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, we have social, we are on social media, so give us a like and a follow. We're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So please get involved right. with us there. So why don't we head to the Super Brew results now? And can I just do a massive shout out to me? Okay, I've got to start off this shout out to me. I'm currently coming fourth on the ladder and I don't know how this is happening. But I just want to say that I'm incredibly proud of my own achievements and thank you to my mum for the <laughs> endless support that she's given me. Oh, uh, what about the people that are above you? you? What about the top three? The people that yeah, actually well, okay, count? Let's get to them now. Uh, so congratulations to Jonathan Northall, who is the Yellow Cap winner and went up five ranks and is up into seventh overall. Uh, but Jonathan Bonds and Lau both all, all got three points this week. So well done, people. And so currently we've got Bonds front row, CISPT2, and myself in the top four with uh, Bonds in front on 11.5, front row, CISPT2 on 11. And I would like to, I would just like to point out that on our run sheet here, I specifically highlighted the top three and didn't put the fourth person (laughs) in for a particular reason. So you've gone against the run sheet by putting yourself in there, Ando. Yeah, well, you gave me the mic, mate. (laughs) Stick to the rules. All right. Uh, yeah, that's it from me. Well done, everyone. Keep getting involved. And uh, basically, I hope that I can win. Mitch, um, where are you? Uh, I think both Rev and I are down the bottom somewhere. Uh, uh, we're both in, on in the, the same points. In the middle. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know actually what number we are, but Ando told us before we started recording that we're on the same points. I think t- so. I'm 23rd, maybe? Or 22nd. 22nd. Oh, there we go. I was, I was selling myself And short. Mitch is 21st. So you guys, it's basically right in the middle. There's 40 people in the middle. There we go. Um, yeah, we're going all right. We're, you know, 
in the middle. <laughs> that's that's good enough. You're not going to get relegated at least. No, that's right. Yeah, well done. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. All right, what are we doing this evening? So we will go through the two games over the weekend. So Rugby Championship Round 5. We will talk about New Zealand and South Africa and their 100th test. We'll then get into the Australian-Argentina game and unpack that. And then we've had a lot of questions and comments come into the locker room. So we'll finish the pot off on the locker room. Sounds exciting. I'm ready. I'm looking forward to chatting through these games. Shall we get into it? Let's go. All right, we're going to move now to the key match of the weekend, the curtain raiser of South Africa and New Zealand. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later, but really the main match that everybody was here to see was Australia versus Argentina to see whether we could build upon the incredible consistency that the Wallabies had shown a previous week by winning two games in a row and see if they can build upon that to win three games. And indeed they did, coming up 27-8 victors over Los Pumas. And it was a game that started off pretty strong, had a pretty, uh, I don't know, um, slippery and not particularly entertaining third 20, but then came to life in the final 20 minutes again. Rev, let's start off with you, mate. What were your immediate takeaways following the game? Was it relief? Was it excitement? Was it disappointment that we could have got the bonus point? How did you come away from it? I think I felt that we played a lot better than the score reflected. I would have liked to have come away with one or two more tries. Uh, I thought our backline really clicked quite nicely, but just didn't finish as many opportunities as they had. And look, I think it's all just because of those two games against South Africa that I am feeling that way. Because we did so well to get those wins, my expectations have just hit another level now where, you know, after the New Zealand games, I would have been stoked to come away with a, you know, um, a convincing victory like that. But I think with those games in the you know, fresh memory, I would have liked us to see a little bit more ruthless and a little bit more clinical against a team that probably wasn't uh, really that close to full strength. And Mitch, that leads us to the really simple question of, was this a case of Australia being particularly good or was it Argentina being particularly poor? Uh, Look, so you could very well take away that Australia came out of this as the clear favourites, went into it as the favourites and came out the clear favourites. But I think a lot of props need to go to Argentina that they did enough to disrupt us in key in key instances in the game. We were pushing in that last 20 minutes to score an extra try. We got down there 22 tw- two or three times and just through their uh, on-ball presence and their ability to counter ruck, they slowed our ball down and they stopped us getting over the line. So they still hung in there and they did well. Very easy. It could have been so easy for Argentina to just give up in this game and and once it got to two scores ahead um they could have very easily gone into their shells and, and started to give away penalties which they were already doing but just really not start contesting um so i think there still needs to be some props go to argentina for the fact that they hung in there in this game and they made us work for that bonus point and ultimately they kept us not getting it so yeah it's kind of nice in my mind to be talking about another team having a gallant defeat that they mm-hmm. kind of didn't give up until the end. But here we're talking not about whether what Australia could have done to actually clinch victory, but what errors we could have just kind of tidied up in order to get the bonus point win. And oh, how different that is from a month ago. So it's incredible what uh, Wallaby's victories can do to the, like, the psyche of a weary rugby supporter within Australia. And one of the awesome things that came from just having a quick look at the statistics is that the Wallabies had 606 metres run to Argentina's 215. So close enough to 
three times the meters run, 57% possession, 60% territory. And the, the stats that I just love to see right here, we had 10 clean breaks to none versus Argentina and 31 defenders beaten to 10. Now, Rev, that tells a bit of a story, my friend. Do you want to talk about the story that that reveals? Yes, yeah, some of the nice things in there is just the Wallabies' defense has just gone leaps and bounds. And I think that's really evidenced by keeping them to zero clean breaks. A stat that Paul Tate put up on Twitter is saying the first time since 2013 that the Pumas haven't made a single clean break in a match. Like, that's something that's really impressive for us. The other thing I think it leads to is we've you know waxed lyrical about how good Lenikatao and Andrew Kellaway have been defensively. They're so smart, but the, the thing that I really like is in the last three test matches combined, including two against world champions South Africa, we've only missed 20 tackles. In the two Bledisloe games before that, we missed 20 in each test. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just it's showing just such a difference in the defense, and I really like uh, I think the intensity that this experienced side is bringing. I think that's been a real difference in that People are working really hard for the inside and outside man, and it just seems as if everyone has a lot more composure and calmness when making these big tackles, when, you know, fronting up to know that, oh, okay, I can trust a guy inside me to do this, so i just got to do my job perfectly. Uh, I think we're seeing that really just come through really beautifully. Yeah. I think I saw that quite well in some of the off-the-ball work that um, Rob Valentini was doing. I noticed a couple of times when there were some really wide channel plays, we expect people like Hooper to be getting across because he's just a freaking machine that never stops. But Rob Valentini seemed to have a level of energy and speed that I just kind of hadn't seen from him before. I know that he brings physicality, but work off the ball around the park wasn't something that I particularly noticed, but I was able to pick up on this game. Uh, Mitch, were there any players that stood out to you that just really kind of got you excited about where this team is moving forward with? Yeah, so Marika Corabetti is one player who just keeps showing up everywhere when someone has a break or has the ball in hand. He's on their hip and he's always there ready for an offload. So he did very well. He, I, I also really liked seeing Reese Hodge at 15. Mm. thought he had some really nice engagements early. He looked a little more settled under the high ball. There was a few instances where he got taken out, but overall uh, it, it was clear that they had been working on that this week and he looked more assured there. Um, <clears throat> together, Karevi, Kellaway and Hodge look like a very dominant, uh, very uh, effective back three that when working together have the ability to confuse the opposition. So that first try that Hodge scored, we had Kellaway and Corabetti on Hodge's hips and three Argentinian defenders took off Hodge to tackle Karevi and... Uh, not sorry, yeah. Corabetti. Their names are so similar. <laughs> and Hodge steps inside and scores through the gap that that creates. So the fact that we've got these three big playmakers who opposition are looking at shutting down and just not knowing where it's going to go, throw into that James O'Connor, Quade Cooper, and Nick White um, in, the, in the centers, we've got a really exciting back line. So, and it's really that everyone's coming together at the perfect time and it's really exciting to see. It's really amazing the difference that a couple of weeks makes an opportunity for a bit more experience to come and just settle things down. Because I think if you look at it comparative to say the start of the front series or just throughout the front series, a lot of the personnel are somewhat similar, um, but you just have a couple of more experienced heads. So instead of Tom Banks, who for the kind of final 30 minutes before he broke his arm was actually probably having his best game of this international window, um, we've now got Reese Hodge, who's got about uh, double or triple his caps 
um, sitting at around 51 or so. Uh, we've 50, now got Quake Cooper in for Noah Lolasiu as well. And Samu Karevi has kind of replaced Hunter Paisami. And whilst Paisami is a really, really good player, and I love him as a, not inherently a project player, because he's damn good now, but as I, I look forward to his development over the coming seasons, the the injection of the power, the vision, and the the match control that those players bring is just really, really positive. And that that play that you mentioned there, Mitch, of um, the, the Argentinian defense jumping out on Corombete rather than going in on Hodge, left him with a one-on-one, and he's strong enough to get through that, which was just... Mm. And he also had a killer right foot step after getting through that break as well yeah. to beat the covering fullback. So, look, there's just a lot to like about where this team's moving forward. Um, I'll quickly quote one more kind of series of stats and then throw it across to Rev to see if he has any stats that he wants to bring into this as well. Um, look, if you just look at the backline runs, you've got Reese Hodge, nine runs, 61 metres. Andrew Kellaway, 11 for 109 with three clean breaks and five defenders beaten. That is crazy numbers. Absolutely crazy. Marika Corombete had 9.52 with two defenders beaten. Um, Ikitao and Karevi were just beating defenders for laughs. They beat six each as well. So there's just so much to like about what this backline is doing. Um, Rev, were there any of those stats or your own that you've got that kind of jumped out to you that you wanted to chat through? I think the stat that jumped out has probably been the most... Like, we did cover the clean breaks and defenders beaten, which I thought was really good, but the area of concern just looking through was the lineouts. Mm. I do think that was something that we were improving upon in the South African series, especially that second game. I thought we controlled really well, uh, and I think 22 of our 30 points came from lineouts. But in this match, we lost four throws, and to be fair, it wasn't really against a strong Argentinian uh, forward back because they didn't have the most sure of their own lineouts. Like that's an area that I think we really need to clean up. And if I can give a word of, I guess, pessimism, I, I don't want to be renowned for that anymore, but really the, the Wallabies got a, you get out of jail free cards because yep. of Marcos Kramer. Um, I, I think it's pretty fair to say he was the worst um, performance of player or referee across all 96 um, individuals over the weekend. I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's really plain to see. He just cost the team so many opportunities. Um, Argentina have a penalty. It's right in front. They could get within, I think it was a score at that point, but he pushes Corombetti off the ball. Um, we have to keep things like that in mind and that Buffelli missed about eight points from the tee. Yep. We were really a lot closer in that match than we should have been. Um, so this week, I think we've got to keep in mind that while a 19-point win looks awesome, and it is awesome that we're getting those wins, uh, we need to have that killer instinct because we didn't put the team away as well as we probably could have. And I think this team probably deserves one of those massive wins just to really show, hey, we're not, you know, just getting lucky here or there. We didn't just, you know, um, get the rub of the green against South Africa. We are a team to be reckoned with. And Mitch, do you think that that, um, that big performance that Rev just spoke to is likely to be happening this week? Or do you think we're going to see a a response here from Argentina who are five for none from the rugby championship campaign so far. They're basically going to be flying out of Australia with a tail between their legs. If they lose this final match against Australia, six for none, horrible points against record. Do you think that we're going to have it as easy this week as we did this week, this coming match? 
Yeah, I I expect this week is the opportunity for Dave Rennie to start making some changes and start testing combinations. He's already sort of alluded to that in his post-match interview and some of the press he's done today, uh, being Sunday. Uh, Cora Betty's been released to go home and have some time with his family. Uh, hopefully he get, comes back for the spring tour, but at this point I'm not too sure in terms of quarantine and that sort of thing with Victoria. Uh, it's It's really hard for this Argentinian team when we realize the experience they've gone through up to this point in the championship, that they've been away from home for so long. They've got players from all over the world. They don't have a base that they've been able to come together and train and prepare. They've got a number of injuries. They're, they're, play, they're playing players, like their starting 10 has not played a test cap at 10 before um, the last two weeks. So I don't see how this Argentinian team is really going to improve dramatically, to take it to us next week. I think there's a few small things that Australia can do that will put Argentina to the sword, and I think we will be more clinical next week. So it's unfortunate, um, and it's a big ask for Argentina to be involved in the championship this year, and we have seen some of that uh, emotion and, uh, I guess, thought process that's currently sitting in the Argentinians in the post-match press conference when Ledesma came out and said that he felt disrespected by Sanza, that they went ahead with that uh, captain's photo shoot without any Argentinian players being present. And just that he feels like there's decisions being made that aren't including Argentina and they've been asked to do a lot more than the other nations and that they're doing that to be able to play, to commit to the competition. Uh, to meet their obligations, but it doesn't feel like they're getting the same respect shown back to them. That can be one way that Ledesma might be able to talk to his players and get them to sort of really say, like, these Australian players aren't respecting you. We're up against the wall here, and they could come out and perform well. But I think at the same time, it's a really big step up and a big opportunity for the Wallabies to, to, put a, to step a mark on the world stage and show that there has been improvement in this team and that we can finish the rugby championships in second spot. I think that part of what you've just pointed out there is that this might be a bit of a, not a tactic, but a um, a considered approach from Mario Ledesma to try and light a bit of a fire within his Argentinian players by talking about them being disrespected. We know from um, Pablo Matera's comments last year in the match against New Zealand asking for respect. I'm playing for my country, give me respect. Um, that national pride and sense of, yeah, well, yeah, pride is something that's very, very important to those players, which is wonderful. Um, it's really, really interesting that uh, there's been some articles that have come out that have gone into a bit more detail. Uh, there's obviously been a media leak from Rugby Australia um, that have provided some of the communications that went some to the Argentinian well. team and came yeah. back that actually said, no, 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 we, we tried to get them there. And we even came up with a bunch of alternatives and they said no. So we went ahead with it anyway. So now you could argue the decision to go ahead with it anyway is in and of itself disrespectful. But hey, if three of the four people are willing to play ball and the fourth one is saying no, well then do you Well, there's still, I mean, I, I, I will fight for Argentina in this instance. I nah. think that they have, no, they have, they have had, like Ledesma said, they've not played a test match at home in two and a half years. What does that have Wait. to do about getting a player to go in a private car to a photo shoot ahead of the rest of the team? That doesn't matter. No, it was a it was a private flight. They were still in Sydney. They arrived in oh, they were in Brisbane. They arrived in Townsville on Friday morning. 
So the team actually arrived. They asked someone to come up on Thursday night. So there's there's a lot of things back and forth. But I will oh, say it's because they chose to change their flight. But we don't know the situation around that. So yeah, let's not just let's not bag let's I'm, not bag Argentina. I'm they are reading here. it from the page right now. <laughs> they they said that they changed their flight and be arriving late on Friday afternoon. Is literally what I'm reading from the article. Yeah, but the same thing as well that Sansa said that they wouldn't have a photo shoot done with the three captains in the same shot, that they would only have two at a time. And they still came out and, and released videos of all the, the captains being buddies and, and a photo of all of them standing with the trophy. So at the same time, you could say that they didn't respect Argentina in that way. Yeah. All I'm saying yeah, is right. okay. we need to respect, we're four nations. We've got four nations coming together to make this competition work. We need to respect everyone equally. Argentina are the lowest on the world rugby rankings. They are the lowest in terms of econom ec economical um, contribution to Sansa. It, it's very much governed by Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. But we also need to respect that they're, they're part of the competition if we want them to keep showing up and, and playing games against us. It seems like Argentina are really like trying to mirror the, the force perspective. Um, you know, just <laughs> not quite included. I do have a really sort of, I guess, sinking feeling nearly that because of all the love the Force fans were giving Santiago Madrano for starting over the weekend, I do think there could be a decent chunk of them going for the Pumas uh, against the Wallabies if we don't name a few extra Force in that starting team. Just, <laughs> I, I do think it's really an East versus West sort of scenario. And I think the Pumas, because of the uh, blight that they're going through at the moment, there's a few people over in that um, Western Seaboard that'll be like, don't worry, brother, we got you. Yeah, we'll we'll back you. Yeah, if that's the case. That's I'll stand crap. with Argentina. Three force players in the twenty-three. Yeah, come on. Even yeah, how many are in? How many are in the Wallabies? Uh, is it four? Two. Kaitu, this week, Rodder and Kaitu Robertson. And Rodder. And Rodder. Oh, and Robertson. Yes, yeah, so yeah. three. Sorry. So three. Yeah, three. Um, and look, Kaitu's been fantastic. I think we really yeah. hyped him up last week, and he was pretty good again. He had a couple of errant throws over the weekend. Um, but anyway, let's move back on. Rev, I think you raised a really good point earlier um, about kind of not getting ahead of ourselves because they're, as, as you rightly pointed out, Marcus Kramer cost them a bunch, um, cost them some really good attacking opportunities, and we did leave a bunch of points out on the field. We, we lacked accuracy, and that just gets me back to my man crush on Dave Rennie. Um, I have yeah. a lot of men crushes within rugby, so I hope you Yeah, there's a lot of them that. coming up this and year. That's Do we fine. need to have a that's conversation? That's so okay. Look, we've been in lockdown. I haven't been able to get out as much. Uh, okay, um, okay, but yeah. basically, what I really liked about Dave Rennie and continue to is the manner in which he um, communicates about the team and seems to be talking about things as being a progression over time. So his mantra is, we need to be better at that. And we need, we'll take a look at that. We need to be better and we'll work on that. And it... It's showing that we are, as a team, just developing with a longer-term view in mind. You look back to how we were playing last year um, in the games against Argentina, basically against all the matches, and we really have come along so far since those matches. And I'm just really respecting what Rennie is putting out there. And a big part of it seems to be his willingness to stay true to his beliefs or his expectations about how the Wallabies should be playing. So we have players like uh, Wilson, Harry Wilson, who in many, including a esteemed podcaster on this show, believe should be starting and should basically be one of the first names written down within starting 15. But he has really been nowhere to be seen within the last, what, four weeks, three weeks. And so, Rev, what do you, th how do you find it 
with hopefully well i'm expecting you to have some positive feelings about dave rennie but also to be frustrated about the lack of clear communication about the omission of some players that we all would have thought should be in a 23 i think rennie's showing um something that he mentioned right at the start of the name in the first squad which is he really wants people to have that uh that killer instinct that you know that dark side that edge to them uh he really does clearly have a type of player that he wants to use and i think this has probably been the best chance to see some of the options that he is going for i do like his approach to coaching in that with the selections that he and the assistants are making they've got a really firm idea of what their squad should look like within that they've got a really firm idea of what their best team looks like but they are still experimenting a little bit and moving a few players around um, I do think back row is probably the area that's got the most room to work with. Um, some of the stats I was going through, just um, we've used 10 different back rowers since Rennie started, which is a lot of people. And when you consider that Michael Hooper has been the starting seven in every one of those 15 test matches, it means that you know nine people have been fighting for those other three jerseys. And there's just been a little bit too much rotation. I think uh, Harry Wilson and Rob Valentini are the only two players to have actually hit double digits out of those 15 games. So they've been included pretty primarily. But for me, I do think it's unfortunately a bit of a case of um, in Rennie we crossed. And I say that only begrudgingly because I'd love to see Harry out there. I do um, think there's potentially a few other players we could you know see a bit more of. I'd like to see a few more minutes into Pattaya, for example. Mm. I think James O'Connor probably needs to be in the starting team somewhere. So how we work that in. Um, but at the same time, everything I've seen of Rennie does seem to imply that he does have a really good long-term view for what to do with this team. Some of the players that got good opportunities last year, they've since been replaced, and I think he's um, dealt with that sort of um, turnover really well. Tamil was seen as a bit of a saviour last year. This year he's got more options, and he's realised, oh, actually, I don't need to use Tamil. We don't have to have a two-playmaker system. We've got other experienced options. But I do like that. Um, and I like that he's stuck with people like Tupo, Matt Phillip, uh, Michael Hooper. They've played in every one of the 15 test matches. Cora Betty, Slipper, um, they've played in every test match that they've been available for. This is the first time that you can look at the team and there's probably about 10 names even that you know are going to be in the 23. Uh, and you could probably even narrow them down to starters. So I really do like that about his approach. Um, but I will still be holding out a little candle at night for Harry Wilson. Get back in that team, son. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> Mitch, with some of the enforced changes that we know are going to be happening, so Marika has gone back down to Victoria or Melbourne yep. to be with his kind of newborn child and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the best to him and enjoy the time back with the family. Thank you for all of the work that you have done. Yep. Um, we also know that there was this comment at the end of the game, which basically said that Sean McMahon is going to be coming into the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Samu stays with that bench spot, then you've got to think that it's Leota or Valentini that are going to be shifting out for him. So, Mitch, do you think there are going to be significant changes for the final match of the Rugby Championship versus Argentina? And if so, what what are you predicting we'll see? I wouldn't say significant. I think there's a few positions that he'll play with, but there's other some other positions that we just don't have enough options at the moment too. So six, I would not be surprised to see McMahon come in there. I don't think he's the type of player that's going to come off the bench. I think he'll start. Uh, and that they'll go with that Samu uh, back three option that they've, that's been working well for them so far. Uh, I expect to see either Jordan Pattaya get a crack at starting wing or um, Tom Tom Wright. Wright. Is that the right? Yep. That's, yep. I'm, 
in my head, I'm picturing Tom Banks, but I'm mean Tom Wright. Tom Wright. Wright. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, or Tom Wright comes in um, into the setup. There was some doubt whether Hodge had injured himself in that yellow card incident where he got tripped up. Uh, After the game, Andrew Kellaway said that he was icing his shin and there was a little bit of soreness there. So, hopefully, that doesn't cause another shift to fullback. It would be great to see Hodge get another crack there. But at the same time, I could very much, very well see. Uh, then shift Callaway to 15 if needed to bring Hodge on the bench or if he couldn't start at all uh, and then bring in a player like potentially Dalgunu um, onto the bench as, as another option to cover that. Mm, I think there's a fair few interesting changes. And I mean, we'll go into that in more detail with Pick and Drive Live on Thursday night this week. Um, so that'll be happening 8 p.m. and get involved for that. But what we might do, knowing that we also want to talk through some of the... Um, New Zealand, South Africa match and the locker room. Why don't we just shift to our final thoughts and kind of do like a Jerry Springer's final thoughts here. So kind of get ready to just encapsulate your whole feelings and heart into this statement. So I'll start with you, Rev. I'm going to go to Mitch and then I'll I'll wrap it up. Okay. I've never seen Jerry Springer, so I don't know what that is. Oh my um, God. Okay. (laughs) I'm looking it up right now on YouTube for you. But I, um, I'll wrap it up by saying I love this Wallabies side. I like that they are piecing together these wins regardless of whether they're um, playing to their best or if they are still missing a few pieces. I really like this team and I think that we're really heading in the right direction. So I'm keen to see us win uh, next week and claim second spot in the ladder. That's a massive reward for this side. Mitch. Yeah, I'm I'm great. glad to see that they found a way to win this game. There was a few combinations that were tested this week. So we had James O'Connor back. We've not seen James O'Connor or Tate McDermott start a test match together or play a test match together this year. So that was good to see um, them get some game time and, and that it worked. So we we were still clinical. We didn't necessarily finish everything that we could have. We had three opportunities at the end there to score an extra try and we weren't able to get over the line and soft hands or um, just taking the wrong instance at the wrong time meant that Argentina were able to keep us out there. So I think next week they'll be focusing on finishing. And uh, I'm liking the the base that we're starting from here. And this this Wallabies team is looking better and better every week. We've got some good players and some good combinations developing. So I'm excited to see how they go and how this springboards us into the spring tour. Ooh, nicely done there. Springboards into the spring tour. Yeah, I like it. So, <laughs> you're a poet. Love it, mate. Uh, for me, I'm actually really happy with the squad depth that Rennie is building. So, we had Leota come in and really look at home in the test arena, at least against an Argentina team, which wasn't firing on all cylinders. Um, I thought he had a really strong game. And so, what that kind of speaks to in my mind is an element of confidence that I had during the match. Uh, we got out to a pretty good lead and I was just really, really happy to see and to have this feeling throughout that I was fairly confident we were going to be able to get this game over the line at the end. And that is a pretty rare feeling. And I don't think it was particularly disrespectful to Argentina within my feelings and thoughts at the time. It was more of a reflection of the growing confidence that I have within the Wallabies. Now, I don't think that they're the finished product. I don't think that they are kind of the saviour or the messiah or anything like that, but I do, I am no, happy with James the direction. O'Connor. That's James, James O'Connor. That's James O'Connor, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but I am, without a doubt, happy uh, in the direction that the team is going. And that is a very, very pleasing feeling to have, considering what the last 12 months have brought for Australian rugby. So on that note, why don't we shift across now to New Zealand versus South Africa? 
Now that we've talked about the main match, let's head to the curtain raiser for the Wallabies, which was New Zealand versus South Africa, the 100th test between these two proud rugby nations. And although the gap between has somewhat been growing over the last 50, it still is a very long, a very proud, and a very tightly contested result between these teams. And it came down to the wire again with only a 78-minute penalty kick from Geordie Barrett separating the two teams. So what I wanted to start with is basically just get the initial thoughts from you, Mitch, and then we'll jump across to Rev. Did this match live up to the hype or the billing as the 100th encounter between these two two nations? I think we can say that it was a good test match and it was a good spectacle. It was a good game of rugby to watch. Uh, it, the, the lead changed hands a number of times. It was very tight. Both teams had a willingness to play. There was two different play styles from both teams, but at the same time, um, neither team really took dominance at all. It it was really open to either at the end there. Um, I think it was a fair fair game for the 100th test between both teams, and it really felt like both team was afraid to lose this game, and no one was really confident to be able to take the game by the scruff of the neck and win. New Zealand made a lot of errors in this game that we haven't seen from them for a few test matches now, and South Africa also looked like they haven't played a test of this caliber or of this style for a few, potentially even a few years now, um, which really saw, in my opinion, them not able to seal this match out. Yeah, there were some interesting points in terms of like the an unsurprising number of kicks from hand, the 38 to South Africa to 18 for New Zealand. Um, New Zealand had 24 turnovers conceded to nine for the box. So it's a fair bit to go into there. Uh, Rev, did you think the match lived up to its hype? Oh, I did. Um, I think it wasn't a good game, but it was a close game, and that's the next best thing. Um, even if you don't have a sort of dog in the fight, I, I think if the game is sort of seesawing, there was a lot of lead changes throughout. Yeah. Um, I do think that does keep it entertaining. I'd say probably the biggest challenge for the match was that the game started at a breakneck speed. Like the try that Will Jordan scored off the back of the Cody Taylor break, it was off the back of so many nice runs. And watching this, I thought, oh, we're in for a real treat. Like this is going to be this helter-skelter. They're already breaking tackles. Um, And then two minutes later, we saw this ridiculous try from Spoo and Kosi who got... Blinding light into uh, the intervention of God, <laughs> something. <laughs> oh, it was it, it, it was miraculous. And I'm like, oh my God! Like, look at this. We got 12 points already scored in five minutes. This is crazy. And then the, you know, the well dried up. It was all um, penalty kicks from there on. But I do think a match of that magnitude lived up to its hype because the box did what they do best, which is um, kicking it and try to control the game that way and stop uh, other teams from scoring. The All Blacks were really um, you know, just brought into that fight, a fight that they're not very good at competing with, but just I think that class shone through. And you can't really ask for much more than that for a neutral to see a game that's that close and that, you know, shows um, that no matter the form of the two teams, that they are going to come together on such a big occasion. Now, Rev, I'll just stick with you for this one um, because I think that you probably know a bit more about the South African players than Mitch or I do. Uh, one of the critiques that I had and I've read within some of the analysis in the media after the game is... It was to an extent around a South African game style. We know how they've been playing over the last kind of couple of months. We know what they're going to be bringing to the table. But when you combine the number of kicks that they had, the 
significant amount of missed tackles that they had. They'd only had 77% completion of their tackles, which means they're inviting New Zealand to come and attack, but their defense wasn't as effective as it should be. And then you had Faf de Klerk kicking away or some of the players kicking away and doing box kicks when on the attack in the New Zealand half trying to chase the game. Have South Africa pinned themselves into a corner with this um, very concrete or rigid style of kick and then try and pressure them, pressure the opposition into mistakes? Yeah, I do think that they're really trying to just work out what worked uh, in 2019 and just try and keep that chain rolling. Um, the challenge for them is that they have been in a COVID bubble since June, uh, maybe even slightly earlier, I believe, just from the Lions tour. And they really haven't had much downtime. So they're a team that are just probably mentally right out of it. They're quite fatigued. They would have taken a lot of effort to get up this game. And I do think that we saw some of the selections um, from this team. The introduction of Quagga Smith to the starting side and keeping Van Staden on the bench, they really wanted to fetch a role so that they didn't have any um, time running the ball. They just wanted to give all the ball to New Zealand and try and force penalties. And to their credit, um, you know, up until the 78th minute when Barrett kicked, that was working just fine. Like, they were yep. winning. Um, Quagga Smith and Sia Khaleesi were arguably the two best players on the field, despite being on the losing team. So I think the tactic does work and they're showing that against the best team in the world, they can still make that, um, make that click and make that something that does have some degree of success. The challenge is, I just think, as you mentioned, the tackle percentage is so low. I don't think we've seen Andre Pollard, uh, play this badly in a very long time. Um, I don't think we've seen the damaging runners in their back line get any um, proper momentum. I do just think it's probably a case of if this game was played in South Africa and they had, you know, two months off just to have some downtime and then prep for the game and be very different. I would love to see that sort of contest. But I think um, this game, whatever remaining energy they had went into this, they lost. I think next week could be slightly worse. Can we do that next year for the Bledisloe? Can we have two months off and play in Queensland? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I mean, we we saw the stat today. No matches lost in Queensland, and we haven't won a match outside of Queensland. So I, I think for the Wallabies, just set up a base. If we can get some sort of COVID perimeter along that, Queensland I did. Border. Yeah, I did see that you and some other Queensland uh, people were commenting and and petitioning on Twitter to start to get the spring tour played in Queensland this year. And I think you'd be pushing the pencil a little bit to get that over the line. <laughs> well, um. How, what length of time is that stat for again? Is it the last 12 months, 18 months, or since when? Uh, since Rennie's taken over. Uh, we haven't... Okay. Yeah, every match that Rennie's played in Queensland, he's won. And every match he's played outside of Queensland, he hasn't. Uh, he's either drawn or lost. So I, I do think... I know we've still got the Argentinian match to come up, but it sets up that game against Japan and Oita is a prime opportunity to get that monkey off the back. Yeah. I'm sure the players aren't thinking about it that much, but like just to try and get that momentum rolling and set up a nice spring tour. Um, I mean, we'll discuss the spring tour in due time because I've got a few complaints about the structure and all that. But um, I, I think, yeah, we, we've got a really nice end of the year coming up. There was a lot of talk about the performance of Sia Khaleesi uh, in this match. And when you had a look at the, we, we mentioned earlier, the um, photo shoot of the various nations captains. And there was this really nice moment where um, Sia Khaleesi is walking alongside Adi Sevilla. Mm. And he said, how about this? It's uh, paraphrasing the hundredth match between our teams and we both have two men of color captain of the teams. And it just seemed to show the weight and the importance and the significance that he places upon his role as a black captain of the Springboks. 
and he seemed to play to that he seemed to he's he's up there and there was this really good comment from squidge rugby on twitter speaking to the fact of he's becoming almost hooper-esque in his ability to have a really good game and then nobody talk about it because we just expect him to play so well um mitch were there other players that you thought had particularly standout games you wanted to highlight uh standouts are hard one i've got a few players who i didn't think i was surprised that weren't playing better um and one yeah, one comment i was going to make just before when rev was talking about the game and Andre pollard is he's clearly not playing at his best at the moment yet it seems unusual that they're not they're not substituting him so they had elton yantes on the bench this week and yet he didn't get on the field and the game's tight and they're right in it at the last 10 minutes and Andre Pollard still not doing things as well as he could be doing. It was confusing to me that they didn't go to a different option. They also had Mornay Stain in their in their in their extended squad as well, and he's not on the bench either. So the fact that they're choosing Andre Pollard as their starting ten or their starting fly half and not going away from that plan, regardless of if it's working or not, is just puzzling to me. And Rev, do you have any insight into why that might be the case? I do think with this team, they're really just trying to stick with the side that had did them uh, or had done them so well against England in the World Cup final and against the Lions. Um, I know that Lacanyam had a few um, dodgy games in between, and they, they just stuck with him and said, "No, look, we want you to work back to the form because we know you can do it." I do think at this point, Pollard. I mean, he probably needs a spell. I mean, he's just been um, cut from his Montpellier contract. They've got. Um, new young guns coming in, that they're not getting the reward from him. I think he's been asked to do so much heavy lifting for this team. Um, we've got to keep in mind, like, he's, I think, 26 or 27. is somewhere around there. But he missed a good chunk of his international career because of injuries. Um, and Elton Yanchis did a fine job of filling in then. I, I think he just needs a break because mm-hmm. he's someone that hasn't actually strung that many tests together consecutively without having a break before. And this is probably quite a... Tough ask, I think, when you've been kept in a bubble, when you haven't had as many opportunities to probably stretch your legs and um, you know see other players come through. Well, it's it's interesting as well that they're sitting that. with him, considering that it was Mornay Stain that kicked that winning penalty for the Lions series. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a really interesting one. Uh, something I just had a quick look at. Um, uh, you're talking about Andre Pollard, yep. right? Um, he's 27 years old, and his overall win loss percentage is only at 59. percent which I thought was quite low considering he's like one of the key players of a World Cup winning team. Um, but it just goes to show some of the difficulties that South Africa had in the lead up to that World let's Cup not, and how quickly that they were able to get turned around. by. Let's Razzie, not look at any um, Australian into... statistics, hey? Yeah, no, nah, thanks. I'm only yeah. looking at uh, South African. That's all good. Um, okay, cool. Well, look, we do have a lot to get through with the locker room. Uh, are there any final points that you want to make, Rev? And then I'll jump back across to Mitch. Yeah, I think the big thing for this is just it does show how important games like this are and, and milestones. And I do think that the acknowledgement that Sierra and Artie had, it was a really nice touch that that was included in all the um, tweets and everything going out because I think one of the things that probably doesn't get mentioned quite enough, and we did a bit of a digging ages ago when putting together um, the Pacifica players in the Wallaby setup, like, imagine a Wallabies team without the likes of Marika Korombetti, Samu Karevi, Len Ikatao, um, Rob Valentini, Pete Samu, Daniel Tupa, Alan Alatoa, nearly all of our hookers. Um, it's such a important thing that, you know, the game isn't the same as it was 100 years ago. It's great that yeah. the rivalry continues, 
it's great that these battles keep um you know ensuing but the leaps and bounds that all these teams have made with including players of color because it's not as if it's a, a tokenism aspect or anything like that like these are some of the best players you know, pundits commentators analysts in the game right now so i do think that that was a really nice inclusion i hope it's something that um you know young south african um, people young polynesian people that are seeing that uh are looking at that and thinking you know what i i can contribute something awesome to this team because these two are the captains of the two best teams in the world and you know they're making it look fun they're making it look easy they're making it look um awesome so yeah i think that was a great takeaway from that match yeah, the respect that they had for each other, just all three of the captains, and I'm sure it would have been the same with Joey Montoya there as well, was really palpable. It was great to see them interacting on a non-official kind of official level. Mitch? Yeah, I was surprised that um, the way South Africa shut this game down or played their last sort of five or ten minutes of the game, they very much were playing as a team who was up on the scoreboard by two points, not the one that was down. So when they had they when Jordy Barrett kicked that penalty and forgive me I can't remember the exact time but I think it was about seventy four um, on the clock or whatever time it was South Africa get their hands on the ball and typically you'd be expecting a team at that instance to be increasing the tempo trying to break the line trying to find gaps in the defensive wall to get through to score points yet they slowed it down. They were taking a lot of time at the base of the ruck to decide where to go next, really slowing it down, one out type of stuff, as if they had won the game and they were just sort of grinding it out. And ultimately, they ended up kicking it away. And South Africa, um, I think they ended up turning it back over to only turn it over again. And New Zealand ended up kicking it out. But it was interesting to see that they didn't seem to have that game awareness or maybe it wasn't that they'd been in a situation like that for a little while now that they were under the pressure of the clock ticking down up against the world champions or the the All Blacks at the time um, and didn't really know what to do or how to execute their game plan to get the points to win the game. Uh, and New Zealand just looked comfortable in that situation. We're allowing them to keep coming at them, allowing them to slow it down, waiting for someone to turn the ball over, which they ultimately did. Now, New Zealand in this game wasn't as good as we have seen them in the past either. There was a few players that were just dropping balls uh, willy-nilly, uh, not executing as well as they have. There was a few tries that went begging that could have pushed it out in their favor. I think next week with some key players coming back, uh, Richie Mawanga being one of them, we'll see a completely different side and a different tempo. Uh, I'd be interested to see if South Africa can lift and find something else because I think New Zealand are really going to come home strong in the final round of rugby champs next week. Well, on that kind of prescient note, predicting for the future, why don't we move now to the locker room where we're going to go through and discuss your questions, comments, and banter. Let's go. We are now heading straight to the locker room because we have a sweaty mess of men in here and women who are ready to (laughs) chat about the weekend that was. So, well, let's go straight to the Facebook questions because we've had a really nice uh, turnaround from, uh, I think, a third straight win. People are happy. Their mood's right up. Daniel Ryan has got a touch to say, so now that we have both Hooper and O'Connor back fighting for the 10 jersey, how do we ensure we continue to develop Lola Seo into the 10 of the future? Keeping in mind the lack of developed talent we were left with after last World's Cup player exodus. That is a really good point because, you know, we saw that we didn't have the best succession planning. Mitchell, throw to you for this. How do we actually get some young tens back into the team? I think what we end up looking to do is 
diversify first of all, or probably identify who our tens going to be starting off with. So whether we're going to put our our eggs into the James O'Connor basket for the the meantime, or the Quade Cooper basket, and pick them to start, and then bring Noah on off the bench at say the seven the sixty fifth sixtieth sixty fifth minute to seal out games and get a little bit of experience, uh, get his test caps up. This spring tour is the perfect opportunity to do that because it will give him exposure to a different type of rugby and different styles from the different teams that we're playing. Uh, I don't know who at the moment Dave Rennie focuses on, whether it's James O'Connor or Quade Cooper. Um, at the moment, it seems like he's using both of those players as kind of the, the plan. So start one and bring the other off the bench. But I wouldn't be surprised moving forward if he starts to look at developing the other players coming through and picking one and, and maybe even alternating it. And so against England, we play Quade and against Scotland or Wales, we play uh, James O'Connor and just see. Because I think on that same sort of theme, I think Nick White plays better with Quade Cooper and Tate McDermott plays better with James O'Connor. So we've got some combinations there that we can really play and swap around and see how they work. Absolutely. And look, we might alternate through the question because we've got some really nice ones in here and and I'm keen to hear your thoughts because we've spoken about Rennie. Chris Lamb's got a touch to say that the way Rennie has the forward back cleaning rucks and trucking the ball feels transformative. And to top it off, how are the offloads from the forwards at the moment? Rennie for PM and hashtag forwards win games. Um, and it is more of a statement, but how much are you agreeing with what Chris has to say? Oh, so much. Um, Rennie for PM is a bloody fantastic choice. I mean, he's not an Australian citizen, so that's probably an issue to start with. But if he was... I feel like uh, a simple mantra of uh, we need to be better would actually be a really, really good political platform to run on. So I agree um, Dave Rennie should renounce his New Zealand citizenship, become a citizen of Australia and run for Prime Minister. Now, there's one here that I want to get into and I think it's a really fun one, but I might just go through two more statements from uh, firstly Michael Garden who says, I was happy with Darcy Swain. He has a monster at the mall. Also, I felt Tom Robertson did very well. Because I agree with both of those. Darcy Swain to me through that uh, mall at the end was really beautiful. And Lincoln Adler getting in touch to say, I'd say Karevi was MVP. Just punched holes through them all night. He's on fire. Probably ought to have had a big night on run on debut. Ran hard and tried hard in line at defence. Thor and Valentini were damaging all game as well. Was a humdinger of a game to watch. So some really nice positivity. And it's nice to see that the fans really are just getting behind a team that's uh, doing well. Um... Lincoln Adler did say one other thing, and you know, I, you know, we were we're a family friendly podcast, so I might not um, <laughs> I don't I don't know if we want to spruik it too much, but needless to say, he'd like to see a few more tupos running around, and if you want to jump on the socials and check out the Facebook comments, um, don't be surprised if we see a few more wallabies with the surname Tupo in eighteen years or so. <laughs> um, look, one of the things that I really liked is uh, Kenny Glenn Braun got in touch, um. And asked, with the squad available to us now, what would be your starting 15? And this is a really tough thing to do. And something fun that I just thought of then that we might be able to do is if we just go and we just name one position each. So, Ando, if you say one, uh, Mitch, if you say number two and I'll say number three yeah. and back to Ando for four, we just go through the full 15, we get five picks each and that way it, it makes it nice and contentious. Are you guys happy with that? Yep. Oh, God, I always get the names of the props on the wrong side of the scrum. So who started <laughs> at no one? Remind me. Slipper. Uh, oh, this uh, week? Yeah, keep him one. in there. Slipper's staying okay. in there. <laughs> Mitch, you're number two. Out of everyone we've got and everyone we've seen so far, I'd have to start BPA. Nice work. Uh, and I'm going to keep Tupo starting at number three. I, I think he's done enough to usurp. Ando, who's one of your locks? Uh, Rodder. 
Nice. And partnering him, Mitch? Philip. I'm going to throw Sean McMahon in at the six jersey. Give him a taste there. Uh, Ando, contentious calls at seven. Fraser McRight. No, Michael <laughs> <Hooper>. <laughs> Knew it. No, Michael so. Hooper. Pressure's on Mitch. Who's your eight? Uh, Valentini. Very nice. Uh, I'll keep Nick White at nine. Harry Wilson doesn't get in there. I'm sorry, mate. Yeah. Harry Wilson at 10? <laughs> Very upset by that. <laughs> Harry Wilson at 15. Uh, Wilson at 15. <laughs> so, he can Ando, kick. Who's your 10? Um, Quaid Cooper. Mm, nice. Mitch, Where, you get your number 11. Are we going 11? Okay, Corabetti. Yeah. He's not Very available, nice. though. That's the thing. No, but this is not This is our our ideal yeah, starting oh, okay. team. Right. This cool. is cool. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, in that case, it's a no-brainer to keep Corabetti at 12. Yeah, Ikitao at 13. Can't, he hasn't done put a foot wrong, so Ikitao at 13. Are we up to me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Callaway, 14. Very nice, which just leaves fullback. Uh, so let, let's throw a spanner in there. Jordi Pataya. Yeah, uh, I want him in there. He's not even played there. How can he be our best? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the colour of the jersey. That's all that matters. Gold? That's all that matters. Uh, blue. I really uh, wish you put Wilson there. So uh, Kenny Glenn Braun, I definitely did uh, suggest we do it in that order so I could finish with the 15. Thank you very much for the question. <laughs> Math teacher uh, for the win. <laughs> that was teed up beautifully. Uh, Jeff Fisher, also on Facebook. Do you think Hodge should get the 15 jersey next week or slot Callaway in there? What do you think went wrong with the lineouts? Bad throws or bad calls? Uh, Mitch, I'll keep the train rolling with you there. Um, just with that first bit, um, who do you want to see at 15? Um, with Banks still out. Yeah, I'd like to stick with Kellaway on the wing, so Hodge at 15. Yeah. And, and the second part of that question where Jeff's yeah. asking about uh, the lineouts, is, is this down to the hooker or the jumpers or where did it was going wrong? Yeah, look, there was a few. There were a couple that were just bad throws um, that weren't straight, and so they got called for that. Uh, there were a couple of steals that the Argies got that were very clearly the Argentinian player jumping across the lineout. Um, there was one in particular, I mean, I've got it in our Twitter chat that we had going throughout the game, um, where the Argentinian lock jumps up and lands one and a half to two meters away from where he originally jumped. And that cannot happen unless you're jumping across the line out. So he should have got pinged for that and that should have been our ball. So there was a couple of points where it was referees um, Maybe missing things or seeing a different picture to what I was seeing, which is they're probably seeing the right picture. I'm seeing a very green and gold picture. <laughs> um, but the, we also need to be better and make sure that we're hitting our targets and are ready to kind of do something a bit different if they're marking off on Philip, who's usually our main uh, line-out receiver. I like all that. And, and I, I think uh, we mentioned that before. It is an area that we need to tidy up a little bit. Um I throw this one to you, Mitch, just because um, you're the resident Reds fan. Yep. While I'm the one speaking, which is <laughs> sure, uh, why not? Gi- given the energy that Tate and Jock added immediately after coming on, should the Reds just be awarded the title for next year? And that comes from uh, Man Bear Pig, aka Liquor Box. Well, if we're gonna just be handing out uh, trophies for good performances, I think we have all come to see that Michael Hooper has been the best performing wall- Wallaby for the last probably three years. So. By that logic, we should just give the trophy to the Waratahs. I like that. I like that. I, Am I uh, wrong? I think Darren Coleman would take that as well. Yeah. That's yeah. No. I, Don't even play. Don't there. even play a game. <laughs> just give them the trophy. Yeah. <laughs> Best team on paper. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, uh, I like uh, Christian Willie K uh, getting touched, and I think a, a few statements as opposed to questions. But some of the things we haven't mentioned yet, which do deserve mentioning. Uh, Lineout was poor. Tate's pass not very good. Way too much drop ball, but. 
Love the back line, and I think it's the best one we have. You could alternate Jock and Cooper depending on opponent. They have covered most of it. Yep. Uh, one of the things that we didn't really address, and this does lead to why the game was a bit scrappy, which it seemed like humidity was playing a big part mm. in both games in terms of ball handling. And the other part of luck is uh, the direct quote from Christian Willie K. I can't believe I'm typing this, but the English referees have been really good in my view. And I, I completely agree. I do think it's nice that the referees have come through the last five weeks, I think, with nearly no scrutiny. It's been really positive. It's been really nice to see that the better team has won on each occasion. Uh, some games have been close, some have been blowouts. Sometimes that helps, but all in all, the games have been really well adjudicated. So that, that's great to see. Uh, and I'll throw to you because Harrison Dale, great friend of the pod, one of the draft rugby alumni and uh, a fellow rugby rumbler, gets in touch to say, who would you most like to see get more minutes in the last rugby championship test? If Sean McMahon doesn't get a full 80 minutes, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed but still in Rennie we trust um I cannot wait to see him take the field again he was one of my favorite players before he went off to Japan his performance against the All Blacks in one of his last games in what 20 I don't know 17 17, I'd say yeah was just incredible and I I just want to see him play again um there's a part of me that would like to see Tom Wright get a chance at 11 uh, partly because his the ability that he's shown at Super Rugby level ha, did not translate on the international arena, and I think he was trying too hard. And there were times that we've seen Kellaway take the step off the outside foot and just cut back in to make sure he doesn't get bundled into touch, whereas Wright was trying to beat the man on the outside and gets bundled into touch. And I just think that he will have had time with the squad to... Look back, reflect, improve. And I just wonder if he is one of the players who can really step up with this additional time in a squad. Probably not at 11, now that I think about it. He's a replacement for Kellaway. If Kellaway gets injured, really, you probably want a stronger ball runner like Pattaya or Dungunu in there. Um, But yeah, so Dungunu would also be another person I'd like to see as well. I I do like the mention of Rob because at the start of the um, test season, I was really backing... um... Corin Betty and Tom Wright to be the two wings. I thought they were mm. the two form ones from Super. Yep. Uh, Callaway's proved me wrong, which is great, but I, I would like to see him get a few more minutes because we've got to keep in mind, he scored the try that kicked off our first win against the All Blacks, our only win against the All Blacks. So he definitely can step up to the big occasions. Um, so I, I do like that. And if I'm being honest, if I was to answer that, the reason why I included Pataya in our best 15 is because I want to see him get some minutes. I think, um, I think he's someone that... Yeah, I was going to say, if, I think we need to be aware of the situation we're at the moment. So we've nailed down the 11th journey with Jersey with Corabetti. Andrew Kellaway's now down 14. So we now need to look at who's that replacement going to be. I don't think Tom Banks, unfortunately, comes into the equation as our third choice right. at the moment. Uh, Tom Wright, sorry. Sorry, I keep getting those two mixed up. <laughs> uh, Tom Wright, for me, doesn't come in. I think Dalgunu's probably... Dalgunu or Vunuvalu. Now, we don't have Vunuvalu available to play at the moment. So I think potentially Dalgunu's going to be that player who yep. takes that third spot. Um, on a separate note to that, one thing I would love to see our back three work on and actually go to is the chip in behind. How many times now, I've counted two or three in the last few games, where we've made a break and we've got players on our inside and our and we choose to go into contact or we choose to shift towards the, the touch line or the, the corner post instead of putting that chip through. Uh, Kellaway did it this week. If he put that chip on, we would have potentially scored under the post. He had... Uh, O'Connor, Karevi, 
and Pattaya on his inside. So if we look at that as an option, it'd be good to see. I completely agree. I think there's enough room to try some of those different plays, and I think this weekend's probably a good chance to do some of those things. Not that we've got a guaranteed win coming, but it's a, a team that isn't in a position that's as developed as the Springboks or All Blacks. This is a good chance to try that stuff. Uh, our last comment comes in from Jamie, who's at Jamie Sports Twit. Um, the Townsville crowd at uh, Queensland Country Bank Stadium stood out. Will Test Rugby ever be played on the Gold Coast again after this weekend? And if the Seabus Stadium doesn't draw 20k plus, surely Townsville has jumped to the GC in the pecking order. Um, and I, I guess this is the resident Queenslander, I'll cover that in the sense that I think this uh, tournament has proved that not just Queensland, but all of Australia really is a great spot to set up. And I think it's really been a nearly perfect uh, audition to host the 2027 Rugby World Cup. I don't think it can go um, understated that this has really been a, you know, nearly a audition to see could we live up to hosting this. And yes, we can. We've seen mm. tests being played back-to-back on the same turf. Uh, we've seen three stadiums in rotation for these four weeks. And this is just in one state. You know that we could, you know, spread it out to um, New South Wales where there's plenty of stadiums, uh, Melbourne, Perth. We could even try and get some games to... Um, you know, in Canberra where we don't down have as big Tassie. stadiums. And down in Tassie, if we get games to uh, the Northern Territory or South Australia, really trying to expand that. Um, I, I do think that this has been a massive uh, opportunity for the Queensland Stadium to just show that Australia is a great spot to host. In terms of jumping the uh, back, Queensland Country Back Stadium, I, I walked past it earlier this year. It's massive. It's beautiful. I, I'd much rather go to a match there than Seabus uh, if, you know, they're the same distance away. Um, and to be fair, we beat Argentina at Country Bank and we didn't beat Argentina at the Gold Coast last time we played them, I don't think so. Didn't um, we lose yeah, to them me, there as well? Uh, yeah, 21-17. I think Falao didn't give the pass yeah. to Foley because he was a hog. And, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great guy off the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why but, not? Um, I'll go with that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I'd be more than happy to say, uh, Jamie, Townsville has officially jumped. Gold Coast in terms of Queensland uh, pecking order, but it is going to be a mission and a half to try and overtake Suncorp Stadium. It's interesting oh. to see that there we did do well in terms of crowd numbers up there, and yeah, I would really say well. that we get we got more crowd. We sold out for that game. Um, I've not seen a, a game sell out in Sydney for years, and the last few games that I've gone to at, at ANZ Stadium or Stadium Australia, whatever it's called now. Uh, has been an all-blacks home game. There's been more black in the stands than there has been green and gold. So as a Sydney-based Sydney fan, it's it's diff- hard to say that, but I think we need to play more games in Queensland. The Reds fan has spoken. <laughs> I like this. All right, team. Is that the end of the locker room section, Rev? We all done with the questions? I think that's it. Thanks for uh, getting in, everyone. We've had some great questions and comments. And, you know, if you don't have a question, you just want to talk about how much you love the game, happy to have that as well. For sure. Absolutely wonderful. Well, team, that is bringing us to the end of the pod for this evening. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for the questions, comments, and banter that you have sent through. Don't forget that we are going to be having our, well, I'm not sure if this is going to be our final pick and drive live. We might have one more in the following week, just kind of doing a review of the of, of the um, rugby championship overall. But on all good platforms at 8pm on Thursday, we'll get involved. Hopefully we'll have a pretty special guest along too. Just trying to nail that one down. 
So look forward to seeing you there and have a wonderful week. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.